Do you live in fear of a complaint? Do you dread making a mistake or getting something wrong? No one goes to work expecting to fail and no one ever likes to be wrong or receive a complaint. But making mistakes is normal. After all, no one has a 100% success rate and receiving complaints from patients and clients could be seen to be an occupational hazard. We know this. So why do we find it so hard to cope when it happens? And it will. That's why we've put together a series of You Are Not A Frog podcasts on complaints and how to survive them. Going through a complaint or investigation is one of the most stressful things that can happen in your career. And I've seen firsthand the anxiety and emotional turmoil it can cause. And I know what it's like to berate myself when I inevitably fail. But it's because we care that we find this aspect of our professional practice so difficult. But what if there's a better way of handling things? What if we could learn to view the whole complaints process as just another part of our professional practice and learn the skills we need to manage ourselves, our colleagues and our patients in an empathetic and compassionate way throughout? In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Claire Devlin, a medical legal advisor with medical protection with a background as a paediatric doctor, and also Dr. John Powell. John is an employer liaison advisor with the GMC outreach team, and he has a background as a GP partner and trainer. We talk about what you should do in that awful moment when you realise you've made a mistake or you receive a complaint and you may slip into panic mode and inadvertently make things much worse. We chat about the importance of avoiding a defensive response, how to document your thoughts and take some learning from what happened and how to get the right support and help at the right time. The good news is that many have been through this before and we have a roadmap about how to deal with it. There are lessons learned and you can do this effectively and minimise the negative consequences and get a good outcome both for you and the patient. So listen to this episode if you want to know how to react empathetically and professionally rather than defensively, how to avoid making things even worse by your actions after you've received a complaint. And listen if you want to know what the regulatory bodies are really looking for in how you deal with adverse events. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, life hacks for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. And I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years of experience working in the NHS and I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer. And the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your destiny and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you will simply do a better job. 
In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and thrive, not just survive, in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So welcome to a very special episode of the You Are Not A Frog podcast. And this is one of the episodes in our Surviving Complaints series. And this time we're talking all about what to do when you make a mistake in that moment where you realise that something has gone wrong what should you actually do? I'm so pleased to welcome on the podcast with me today, Dr. Claire Devlin. And Claire is a medico legal consultant at MPS. She's an ex-pediatric trainee, so an ex-pediatric doctor. And she works with all different case types with MPS supporting doctors through. So welcome, Claire. Thank you. And also really delighted to have Dr. John Powell. Now, John is an ex-GP partner of 17 years. He's also been a GP trainer and a portfolio GP. He currently works as an employer liaison advisor with the GMC outreach team and is developing the GMC outreach team as part of a team doing the development for that too. He's also been a case examiner for the GMC and he also has been an employment and a disability tribunal doctor the tribunal service. Thank you so much for coming. So both of you, you know, you've got a wealth of experience for supporting doctors in this area. And first of all, I would like to talk about that. Oh my goodness moment, that moment when you realize you have made an error or a patient has come to significant harm. You don't maybe don't know if it's an error or not, or you receive a complaint or something has gone wrong. And I can just remember what it feels like to be in that moment. You know, even if you've not made a mistake, when you hear that something awful has happened to someone, your heart skips a beat, it starts racing, you just feel terrible. And and Claire, you, I'm sure, see people on the front line when they just experience these moments. What sort of reactions do you tend to see in doctors? I think you're right. First of all, it's almost a big adrenaline rush and you just feel shocked and maybe frightened, distressed worried really worried and perhaps a bit panicky and thinking what do I need to do now first of all you're going to want to be sure that there isn't in a sense any ongoing clinical harm or anything sort of that you need to correct clinically with the patients the sooner the better if you can get in touch with your medical defense organization we're able to help you take it step by step and almost walk through it with you and deal with things as they happen and to help you see what you need to do sort of straight away. When there's been a mistake, there's also the duty of candor angle and the GMC put it really very clearly and it does make sense. The patient will need to know what's happened. You'll put it right insofar as you're able to, you'll apologize, 
and you'll help the patient to understand any short-term or long-term consequences. Everybody makes mistakes. It's almost not even the mistake you make, it's what you do with it afterwards and how you handle it. So a little mistake handled badly can actually put you in a worse position professionally than really quite a big mistake that you get the right support with and you handle well. And then you can neutralize it, you can diffuse it, you can do what needs to be done for the patient and you can, you can put yourself in a strong position. Yeah, that's such an important concept to get across. I think that if you are practicing, well, in any profession, you are going to make mistakes. I heard someone um, really nicely describe it the other day as if you wash up enough plates, you're going to drop some. <laughs> Just means that you are a normal human being and, and you're practicing. But like you said, a little complaint handled badly or a little mistake handled badly can be really devastating, have dreadful consequences. And I think that Perhaps sometimes what happens is in that moment of panic, in the OMG moment, people then do, do things that are really, really unhelpful. What mistakes have you p seen people making about making mistakes? I think the worst possible thing you could do would be to perhaps try to cover up, cover up the mistake. And in a moment of panic, really, in a sense, anybody can do anything. But if you can almost prime yourself to think, that's the worst thing I could do. There'll be an element of explaining in a sort of clear and neutral way. There'll be an element, a really important element of reflecting, sort of trying to get some insight into what happened, understanding, sort of analyzing it, sort of what happened, why it happened, then reflecting on that. You can do that in an, in an anonymized way just for your own purposes. So it's not clear what case it relates to. And then it's actually really valuable. I think people feel frightened of this, but it puts you in a strong position professionally to go looking for learning points and they can lead to actual sort of concrete changes in practice and pulling together a portfolio of those sort of different things actually puts you in a really strong position professionally. It doesn't weaken your position. Mm. I think that's what a lot of doctors worry about, mm -hmm. that, that things that they do in that moment are going to weaken their position either apologizing is going to weaken their position or admitting fault or admitting blame is going to weaken their position or if they document stuff afterwards is that going to weaken their position I mean John what's your take on that it, what what can do doctors do in that moment what would weaken their position and what wouldn't I was thinking initially the most important thing to do is just to stop and to and to breathe yeah and just to just to get your bearings because it's it's a it's a shocking moment for a doctor when you realise that a mistake has been made or a bad outcome has happened, which you might be you might be involved with, and it's difficult because you're not a robot. You can't just deal with it like a, a computer algorithm. But you've got to deal with it in a, an efficient way, and it's a test of your professionalism. The GMC doesn't expect people to make no mistakes. We're all fleshy beings. You know, we make mistakes, but what what is important is how we deal with it. We have to deal with the mistakes, errors, bad outcomes in a professional and useful way. So I agree exactly that you've got to make sure that the actual thing that went wrong is, is put right. So if, it, say, a result hasn't been acted on, it needs acting on. A referral hasn't been made, it needs to be made. So all those things need to happen. And if, nece if necessary, if, if you're in a panic or you just feel like you can't do anything because your brain's mush, then you'll need to delegate it to someone who you can trust to do it. So you need to start putting things right straight away. I th and, and I think that's just really important just to you know, get your bearings, realize that, you know, it's it's going to feel bad and it's going to take some time for you to get through that kind of 
panic moment when everything kind of closes in and your stomach churns and you can you can't think it'll take you will get through that but it'll take some time get some help just to deal with the with the actual subject you're dealing with and then after that you're going to have to start to get some advice and that's when you need to speak to your defense organization maybe to a trusted colleague as well and and just get some advice what to do next because it is quite complex and it will depend on the situation and there will be the duty of candor to deal with but to deal with it in the right way and that's when sometimes people make you know make errors at that point so you know the, the obvious error people might make is to say change the records which is mm. never a good idea and we do see cases at GMC where the initial mistake wasn't that bad and it was quite reasonable someone would learn the lesson and it would never even come to us but someone's altered the records and you know honesty is vital to patient trust and it's vital to the 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 bargain we have with patients so that that is very important i would encourage people you know and when i was a gp did myself when you hear something going wrong quickly do a brain dump your thoughts about it as a reflective note to yourself it may just stone that bit of paper and never go anywhere else but just to to clarify in your head what you what you, what you think, what, you know, because our notes are a small fraction of what we think. If it's fresh in your head, just just write it down so you can reflect on it. Because after a few months of correspondence and letters, you're going to forget you know, what came first, and it all becomes a bit more difficult. So you might want to write that down, but that's that's for you. And it may be later you'll put a, a clear note in the record, say this is a, re- a retrospective entry, my my thoughts and recollections on this date. And it'll be absolutely clear from the records, and there's no problem at all with that. Mm-hmm. So, but you're gonna get advice about that because it's a careful process what you put in the records, and you'll get advice from your medical defence organisation about what to put and how to how to phrase it, that sort of thing. But I think it's that mixture of of doing the right thing, controlling your emotions. And being that professional that you are and getting through this process. And if you do it right, you will increase trust with your patients often. And you will, you will, you will never even go near places like the GMC. And and it just it's just part of our our career practice that these sort of things happen. So I'm presuming that perhaps the biggest mistakes that we make in dealing with complaints are when our emotions are high, when we've been, yeah. when we've been triggered, when we're in our sort of fight, flight or freeze zone and we're like the, like a rabbit in the headlights and we, we just don't think clearly, do we? So That's right, yeah. How important is it to, to take a step back, to give a pause, to give a break before we then take action? Well, one thing that occurred to me when I was in practice is that you know, occasionally say there'd be a note in the appointments list from the practice manager saying, can you see me after the surgery? Because something's happened. And mm. I can't continue with the surgery then. I have to go no. and see what's happened. Because it may be just, oh, we've got put, forgot to put some stamps on some letters sort of thing, or it may be something disastrous. But if you work, if you make decisions, clinical decisions with patients whilst you're under, under duress, you know, whilst something is in your head that, oh my God, what's happened? I need to deal with this. You will make more errors. And the, and the tragic thing is where someone has an error and then in their state of panic makes a second error, which might be worse. So acknowledge that your brain is mush for whatever it is, 10, 20 minutes when you just take it in, have a cup of tea. Uh, I always think that you know, a complaint from a patient that they were seen 20 minutes late is fairly easy to deal with. A, compl- a complaint that you made a mistake with the next patient because your brain was mush is much more hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. So acknowledge that you're human, have a cup of tea, Try and get things into context. Can you continue with it, with with your surgery or clinic, 
or do you need to attend to this? You know, is, is there a, an action that needs to happen straight away? And so you know, get, get some context, but don't make that second error. Don't compound the original problem. That's really important, I think. Yes, and I guess you can also make that second error in then how you're com- communicating with the patient who had the mistake or had the complaint. And I think this, I think, is what people are really, really worried about. How do I communicate with the patient? How how does this duty of candor work without me completely dropping myself in it and causing problems for myself later down the line? You know, what would MPS and other medical defence unions be be advising in terms of that? I think, in a sense, it's it is actually straightforward because there is the there's the it's the right thing to do, and there's the professional imperative to be honest and open and straightforward. So in a way, I would actually, I would try to keep it simple. I would communicate in a straightforward way about what you know of what happened. I think quite often in practical terms, early on, you may not really be able to, you won't have investigated most likely. You'll really only be able to say what you do know. If it's something that you're going to look into or your practice, your colleagues are going to look into, you can explain that sort of give the patient a sense that they know what to expect and what sort of will be happening. You may even sort of start off with a kind of a kind of generally worded apology. You're not, you know, you may not really understand what happened and you don't have to try, you don't try to guess basically, but there are ways of apologizing that that sort of show your sincerity without pinning you down to particular points. So for example, you can say, you know, I would really like to say how sorry I am this has happened. That's sincere. You are sorry, and it will come across that you're sorry. It doesn't sound like something that's, sort of, I don't know, something robotic or formulaic. But at the same time, you're not saying, oh, I did this or I caused that. Things that that you, you know, you maybe haven't had the chance to think about, or haven't established. So I think it is possible to have a meaningful and kind of sensitive discussion, but without perhaps going into some of these nuances about maybe exactly what your involvement was, sort of frame it within the limitations of your knowledge. And, you know, it might be that there isn't just one conversation. You keep the door open, you let the patient know you're happy to discuss again and that they can come back to you if any questions occur to them. You may even kind of arrange with them to speak at another time because actually sometimes it can, I imagine, be an enormous shock for the patient as well. And they are going to want to allow things to filter down John, would that be what you guys would be recommending too? Yeah, I mean, it occurred to me what I often said to trainees, I think, about this kind of thing, that it, it's like giving bad news to a patient. Often they'll only hear the first thing you say, you know, this has happened, and then everything else is just is just like words. So they, they often will just need to take in what you said and then think about it for a while, probably speak to family or, or friends, and then come back and ask more about it. And so often I think when you give this kind of adverse information, you, you, you're going to give that actually what happened quickly without couching it in, diff- in fancy phrases and then an invitation to discuss it and, and or a call back and not an assumption that someone will then call the practice back, but some sort of proactive effort. But I, I was thinking about what an apology is and it, 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 it is a, a difficult thing, but what it really, it's just a few words down as we're speaking. It's, it's a kind of, it's, it's a sincere, empathic, professional acknowledgement that the event has happened. So it's, it's got some emotion in because you realise it's an emotional thing, but it's, it's an acknowledgement that something has happened and that 
you are sorry about it. And sorry means a lot of different things. It, it means that you you are sad for someone else. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that you are, you accept responsibility for everything that has happened, but you are sad that this has happened. And that and most, I think, most doctors with some experience are good at communicating that sort of thing. You know, it's retaining your, your professional responsibility and continuity of care for something, even through a difficult period. And I think it's it, it, it's an important thing to get right. And I think patients will see through the kind of sorry, not sorry type statements. You know, I'm sorry you feel the need to complain type things, which you know, is, is not, is not going to help. It, you, you can say, I am sorry that this has happened. I'm sorry for, for that you, we, we find ourselves in this, this situation. But it, I think getting some advice about it, writing it down and seeing how it, how it looks and before you do it and thinking about it and not the kind of hasty phone call to patient immediately after you discover something's gone wrong. Just which we sometimes see where a doctor is kind of gauging whether someone realizes that something has gone wrong or not, or they can get away with it, sort of thing. You, you don't want to, well, I'm just, I think um, that's a better way of phrasing that. I think, yeah, I, I think thinking about carefully about what you're going to say so it comes across correctly and not a, any, in any way a false apology is important. Yeah, and I guess that running what you're going to say past a trusted colleague or even your medical defense organization is 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 a good thing to do because i guess that there aren't that many things that you must do straight away you know unless you've given the wrong treatment and you, you know that stop yeah. don't take that or you know everything can have a little bit of time to think about it can't it and it's much better to just say what's the tone like on this does it does it sit well with you does it feel like i'm justifying myself or does it feel sincere and i think about all the times in in, in in my GP career, occasionally say, not as, as a mistake, but we've had late results come in when someone's going away on holiday and we realise that they can't go away and they're on their way to the airport. So that is a kind of urgent thing. You know, someone's INR is is completely out and they need to stop taking something or take more of it or get more blood tests. There are urgent things, but mostly it's something that can wait, at, you know, at least a few hours or overnight. So a referral needs to be made. It's you know, you can do some work first. You can talk to people. And it's much, if if you can say we've sorted this out now, so things are now on track, it's a lot easier for someone to accept that an error has been made. And I think I was thinking that my response to these questions are in a lot of respects come from my experience as a GP rather than in the GMC. Because the GMC, in the end, wants to let doctors be doctors and to make their own professional decisions. And most of what of, of what the GMC thinks about in terms of guidance and advice and standards comes back comes back from what doctors are doing. I think one useful way of thinking about this is we're all patients as well as doctors and we're all family, you know, relatives of patients. And we have to think about, you know, how would we feel if we had a letter or a, a phone call from a doctor saying they've made a mistake? Or how would we feel if our, if, if, if say our elderly relative had a mistake? Would we be outraged? Would we understand what we want to hear? And so that's an important thing to think about when you're thinking what to say to someone. I think that's a, a great practical thing you can do is think if, if this was me, if I was in their shoes, how would I want to hear about this? If this was a relative of mine, how would I want them to hear about it? Yeah. Or what advice would I give to another doctor in exactly the same shoes as me in, in what I'm doing here? So I, I think part of the problem is we just get so defensive don't we when we think we've done something wrong it's like immediately right let's quickly look at the notes was it my fault and if not 
Phew, thank goodness. Okay, it wasn't my fault, but I, now I can, you know. But what if it was your fault? You know, and again, you're human. And then I remember, Claire, when we were talking before this podcast, you were talking about the fact that actually getting really defensive and trying to justify stuff is pretty much one of the worst things you can do. Is, is, is that right? I think it's probably not the worst thing you can do because the worst thing is that we alluded to is to try to cover up. Okay, covering it up, being dishonest. But the next thing, in terms of a a kind of approach that won't work, I think sometimes your care is criticised and you think, well, the way to deal with this and protect myself is to show that my care was fine. And so people almost take a legalistic approach and it's almost as though they're arguing their point in a court of law and they're showing the patient why the patient is wrong. Maybe why the patient has misunderstood something or misremembered something, or it's a kind of almost an antagonistic type of point scoring draft response. And I understand why, why you would do that. You, it feels, it feels maybe unfair. Sometimes patient has misunderstood things and they think there's been something that's gone on in fact it hasn't and you do have points that you want to make to to clarify so I'm not saying that in a sense you roll over and just say yes yes to everything the patient says but definitely there's a a kind of better and worse way to explain yourself so I think the way I would look at it is you will approach the patient with a sort of very empathic tone because rightly or wrongly, they're, they're, something's upset them. And so empathy is, 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 is the right thing. And also, I think in all of this, the right thing is the same thing as the effective thing. So you're not actually trying to serve two masters. So an empathic tone, a sort of taking time to understand what the patient is concerned and upset about so that you can properly kind of engage with them and they'll realize that you're taking them seriously and that you've given some time and some thought to this and you will offer your explanation you react as a as a human being if you have lots of emotions about a difficult case or a difficult complaint that's normal and that's right and you need to have the sort of time and space to do that but when you're actually responding that is something different and i would almost try to see it as part of your professional practice is not sort of in a way then it's not personal and you're simply looking to respond in the most professional way so you're offering an explanation but it's it's neutral neutrally worded maybe low-key a very calm calm careful tone explaining things in a way that the patient will understand so it's sort of accessible and clear for a lay person and actually that's the best way for you to make your points because It's not that the patient will be sort of put off or sort of antagonized by a kind of defensive tone. So actually, you stand the best chance of being able to make your explanation if you approach it that way. And nobody will be able to criticize you because of the way you said something, because you will have said it in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And then after that type of explanation, you'll make sure you really have kind of grappled with and dealt with the specific concerns that the patient has. And then from there, you're able to offer reassurance and kind of valid reassurance because you'll be thinking about the the angle that we've mentioned before, sort of reflecting any learning points, any action points. In a sense, the principles are simple. And if you're able to sort of hold on to them and know what it is that you're trying to achieve, then it makes the whole thing, in a sense, quite straightforward. Mm. That's a really interesting point. What would you say people should be trying to achieve in a mistake mm-hmm. because I think doctors mm-hmm. think I want to achieve being exonerated mm-hmm. someone said I want to achieve not being sued being able to get mm-hmm. my job 
not losing any income and people saying it was fine. It wasn't my fault. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. I think I think one important principle around this is that just because a patient's made a complaint against you, the doctor-patient relationship is still going. And I think doctors sometimes in their, because of the emotions, they think, oh, because there's been a complaint that's destroyed the relationship, now I can go on the on the defensive. And it's not the case. I think you know, we all know the, the kind of paradox of care that the, the patients that often we've cared for most are the ones who make most of the complaints and the ones that... You, know, you get very forgiving patients who you know, they weren't on a radar because we had other things to look after and they don't complain. It's strange how that happens, but that, we should, that shouldn't push us into a situation where we think, right, now this patient has pressed the, the combat button and so I can now defend myself. You know, you've, got to, you've got to put things right in such a way that your doctor-patient relationship continues. And the byproduct of that is it's much more likely to continue if you have that attitude and you're only much more likely to get through the, through the complaint process, if you like, successfully, if you consider that you're the person who is confronting you is still a patient and you still you know, use your best skills to communicate effectively and to, and to get a good outcome for everybody in the end. Mm. I think it's about not seeing them as the enemy, isn't it? Yeah. Because I was just thinking when, when Claire's talking about depersonalization, so often it's like they are attacking me as a doctor. They, they're saying I'm no good. And on the surface, they might be, but actually underneath, they're worried about their own health. They're frightened. They want to make sure it's never going to happen to anybody else. They, you know, most people aren't vindictive. There are a few, I know that yeah. there are a few that, that are, though, aren't there? But unfortunately, we, you know, especially say with grief, uh, a grief reaction that happens often at any bad news. People don't act in particularly logical ways and they will lash out and they will blame a doctor and tell you you're a terrible person. And it does hurt when you get that sort of that sort of language going back to you. But you have to just yeah. try to be to go to, to get some reassurance and go, well, it's just you know, this happened. And then often that kind of language will will melt away once you've explained what happened. Patients often and relatives do they want an explanation for a bad outcome which they don't understand and once that's supplied and they understand it then often you know all that steam in the system will, will go away so claire just coming back to when to you know recent complaints and things that you've dealt with in your role as a medical legal advisor were there any quite serious complaints that had a really really good outcome and you thought crumbs that was a good outcome and what what was it that the doctor did that, that produced that good outcome that you perhaps wish all your, all your members would do? Okay. I think the good outcomes that I've seen have been where the issue, in a sense, got the time it deserved. And it, I think, in a way, it all came down to 
careful reflection and giving time for the doctor to actually almost just really kind of go back and enter into what her thought processes had been at the time that she was at the time she saw the patient and then looking for any any learning points and she did this individually but she also did it in the practice if you're able to deal with it yourself analyze it reflect neutralize it learn what needs to be learned change what needs to be changed then really you you you've done good work and I, and I think what you just talked about is pretty much the opposite of a defensive response mm-hmm. it's the opposite of trying to justify yourself and and defend yourself I think it's, it's important to realize that this type of approach is not going to mean that you're going to be in a sense framed for things you didn't do or landed with things you didn't do and anybody who is kind of in a sense scrutinizing or sort of looking at your care they'll see that I think one thing, just to play devil's advocate here, that people are really worried about now mm-hmm. is if I reflect, if I document my learning, if we really delve deeply into how to prevent it, is that going to be held against me? Because that you know, there's been some obviously fairly recent, quite high profile cases in which the medical profession have felt that doctors' reflections have been used against them. John, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, the GMC doesn't ask for reflective documents because the GMC, like any kind of advanced legal process, doesn't ask people to incriminate themselves, if you like. But the reflective process is immensely important. And I'd echo that the analysis is really important. And if if a doctor has reflected early and can show that whatever concern there was, it was properly understood and properly addressed, and it hasn't happened again, then there's no need for any regulator to take any action with that that's that's a part of course from any any sort of a court action about negligence or compensation that sort of thing but from a regulatory point of view we want safe doctors with trusting patients and if the doc if the doctor has done the work properly then then that's fine sometimes we find that in a response to a concern a doctor will give us reflective information because that's very relevant to their response they're saying i understood what the problem was i did we changed these routines i did these courses we audited afterwards to look back and it's clear that we've solved the problem and and everything's been sorted out and there, there's literally nothing for the gmc to do and very commonly even at the kind of triage stage where complaints come in or concerns come into the gmc we can see the work's been done at that stage so it doesn't even start you know, it's been dealt with. What you don't want to do is wait until the very final stage of an investigation or a GMC investigation where concerns are laid out and then go, all oh, right, I'll do this work now, because that's kind of leaving it a bit late. So reflection is, isn't just a word, it's, it's an important professional attribute where we understand what we're doing and what has happened when things go wrong. And I, th- and I think I think about, say, say, a typical case that might come in where someone acted wrongly on a result and so they they do a, a course or they change the protocols about what to do in case of, say, results coming in for the practice. But actually, if they'd reflected or done more analysis, they realized actually they've just seen too many patients and they had too many distractions, that that was the, the problem. It wasn't, they knew what to do. It's just that they, in their, with all the noise going on, they did the wrong thing. And so, I mean, that's a minor point, but that shows what, you know, they did the wrong process to remediate because they didn't analyze it in the right way and there are lots of people who will help you with that analysis of of what might have gone wrong 
and or the obvious person is say a colleague or someone to say your appraiser might be happy to look at what's happened and give you some sensible advice obviously the medical defense organizations will be happy to look through and say you're doing this course but actually you should do this one instead and the medical defense organizations give you know, do very good education about about dealing with concerns whether it's time management whether it's clinical issues or you know all the kind of human factors that we talk about so understanding and analyzing and it's we don't ask GMC doesn't ask for this information. It, it isn't wanting doctors to criminate themselves, but doctors do present this information as very valuable evidence that they've understood the issue and it's and it's not a concern. The doctor is is safe and fit to keep on working. So when when mistakes happen, just constantly look for the learning in what, what you're doing, make sure that's documented, it's discussed with peers, and, and don't take it all on yourself either, because nobody works in a vacuum, right? We all work in hospitals or departments or practices and it all influences our our actions yeah yeah don't take all of the blame but don't take none of it either yeah and there are plenty of sources of information to tell you if you like what the gold standard of of remediation for concern is what you should do how you can demonstrate it so that it's clear to everyone that there is no issue i think it's really important just to have a roadmap really just Mm -hmm. And and if you can think about this before it happens, then you've you've got it you've got it out there. I'm constantly so um, surprised that we are not taught more about how to do this at medical school or in our training. You know, I don't remember yeah. ever having a session on how to deal with complaints and what to do. But given that everyone I'm talking to is saying to me they are an occupational hazard, they are part of your professional duty. Why aren't we doing this more? I think we're not. We're not really taught in medical school that we're going to be working in, if you like, a substandard system where there aren't enough resources, there aren't enough people, there aren't there, there are patients with what can you say unrealistic expectations. We're taught that everything's perfect and you can get every test you want when you want it. It's just a matter of knowing what to do, but it isn't. It's it's it, it's a matter of dealing with huge amounts of overinformation and obfuscation and confusion and stress and exhaustion and behavioral problems and you know it's, it's it's just a big mess of information and we're not taught about that you could say it's about situational awareness but it comes as a shock I think as a working doctor that you never learned that as a medical student you know that you will get things wrong and here's how to get out of it yeah I'm just thinking you know rather than you know beating yourself up when you get a complaint actually we should be patting ourselves on the back saying well done for not making more mistakes in a really stressful imperfect system we don't think like that do we claire if you were to design a a a program of learning for medical students you know what what are the things you think people really need to know when they when they start in medicine about complaints and mistakes I don't think you need to know a huge amount, actually. I think you just need to have a bit, like you said, a framework, really, to to have an awareness that this is something that you're going to come across to to understand maybe the emotions that you're likely to experience, to have some some techniques for that immediate shock, sort of dealing with that immediate period of shock, but then to know what comes next. And I think in many ways, to keep it simple, each case, the detailed analysis and response in each case will be case by case. So I think it's important not to overload people, but just to let them know this, this is going to be part of your professional life and maybe even in a way be increasingly so with time. I think, for example, the number of clinical negligence claims you know, has increased with time. So sometimes there's almost cultural factors 
that influence the number of complaints you get. I would quite often speak to doctors who are retiring and they say, well, this is my first claim. But then there'll be other doctors in their sort of 30s who've maybe got a couple of claims and that's not necessarily a reflection on them. That's the reflection on the change in culture. So I think I would just feel that it's important, important to, have, to have a basic understanding, to know that it will happen, to in a sense be kind to yourself, but then to have an idea of the different sort of sources of support and guidance and advice that you would want to then connect up with and then just take it, follow it one step at a time. And it's, I think, it's, sorry, Andrew. So I think there's an interesting contrast between, say, the number of, of say, claims that are coming into medical legal organisations and the number of complaints that come in or concerns that come to the GMC, because that hasn't gone up exponentially it kind of goes up and it goes down and it changes but it, it it isn't subject to the same sort of thing because there's a distinct difference between claims for negligence and concerns about doctors it's it i would i would say overall concerns about doctors stay at a fairly low level because people generally are trusting of doctors but you know working in the gmc you obviously see a very biased view of it because you only see one type of thing coming through the door but there is a difference there that's really good to know. We're nearly out of time. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you for your, your three top tips of people on what to do when they make a complaint. But I just wanted to touch on timeline because both of you have said interesting things to me about timeline when I've been chatting to you before the podcast. First thing you said, Claire, was you think sometimes people leave it too late to get in contact with the people that, that can really, really help them. When do you think people should be seeking support and advice in, a, in the complaints process? I think honestly right at the beginning straight away really I think you know we prefer it that way then what you don't want to be doing is to be up against a tight deadline or maybe a deadline that you've already extended the complainant the patient is kind of losing patience with you they feel that you're sort of messing them around and not taking them seriously and then you're in a bit of a rush to finalize your complaint results and sometimes they actually can need quite a bit of work First of all, maybe really in terms of the whole tone and structure and attitude and approach. And then once that is is in good shape, there can then still be you can still need to spend time working out how to explain things as clearly as possible. So then there can be time spent finalizing it. So it can actually take longer than you might expect. And it's it's so worthwhile to to give it that sort of those, those sort of bits of extra time to prepare a really good, sort of comprehensive reassuring empathic response with a with a clear explanation in it and you don't want to to not have to not have time to do that properly really I think because how you handle the complaint at the beginning really can be instrumental in either just settling it and neutralizing it or or the alternative is that it, it may escalate and you could find yourself with perhaps the involvement of the ombudsman Sometimes NHS England become involved. Worst case scenario, you could find yourself dealing with a GMC case. So in, in some senses, the stakes are high. You want to do the right thing for the patient, but also in, in doing the right thing for them, you're doing the right thing for yourself as a, as a doctor. So the two go hand in hand, really. Yeah. And presumably this involves, even if there hasn't been a mistake or there hasn't been a complaint, if there's a situation that's precarious, can people contact their medical defence organisations even before anything's happened? Yes, definitely. People, we have a, we have an advice line and I, I know people, people contact the defence organisations just with kind of difficult scenarios where, where their instincts are telling them that this could, 
could go in a sort of undesirable direction. And we'll be happy to talk to talk things through. And quite a lot of the time, our cases are simply advice cases. You know, there isn't a complaint. There isn't a need to write a report for somebody. There's not a sort of formal case. But we advise them on as a way to navigate some of these very difficult situations. I think a, a typical instance of that would be, say, a doctor where there's a patient has died and an inquest is going to happen. The doctor kind of feels that they're going to be criticised during the inquest. And so it, he can, the doctor can anticipate that, that they will need to self-refer, say, to the GMC about that. But it may not happen. But they want to speak to their medical defence organisation beforehand, who are going to be very interested in, in helping them to navigate the inquest and to make sure that statements are, are properly written, that sort of thing. So it hasn't happened yet, but it might happen. Yeah, and I've, I know I've, I've certainly phoned my medical defence organisation when there's a phone call I need to make and there's a little bit of a maybe consent issue or, or that I'm not quite sure and I just want to check out what the right thing is or how to approach things. And it's been really, really helpful, just giving me much more, more confidence. But John, I just wanted to come to you because I know that as part of your role with the, the GMC, you are sort of helping educate the organisation on being sensitive to the vulnerable contacts you have. So doctors obviously are, are all vulnerable going through complaints processes, but some may be p- particularly vulnerable. And one thing that you talked to me on timeline is that often this takes a lot longer than we yeah. are expecting. We want it done so. and dusted and sorted so we can put it to bed and forget about it. But that's often not what happens. That is very, very difficult. I think it's, especially for a young doctor, it's very difficult to understand. And this is something that I used to say to trainees when I was a GP trainer, long before I started at the GMC. But if there's a significant complaint about you or something that's gone wrong, it will take, you know, it's going to take months to years to sort this out. And so you need to kind of build in your resilience to take that into account and you've got to look after yourself and you've got to engage with your life and your family and you can't just kind of hold your breath until it's over you can't not sleep until it's over because it things will be happening in the background reports will be written what you know often you are going to have the initial correspondence but then nothing happens for six weeks and then you get another letter that makes your heart stop coming through then you've got to go through routine again you've got to phone people and say this has come through what should i do and then again nothing happens for for a while It'll take a while to get to happen. And once you're, if you're like a mature doctor, then you will have a few of these things going on in the background all of the time. And you have to be able to kind of put it in the background, realize that part of your life involves this stuff happening, that you can't get all your worries, jobs sorted and cleaned and back in the cupboards before you sleep. It's just, it's, it's, it's an inherent part of being a busy professional doing a very difficult and responsible job where often bad outcomes happen, even if you can't prevent it. And we're working in a, in a challenged, flawed, and unresourced system that is trying its best to improve, but, but the ideal state is always in the future. So yeah, so, so realize, you know, once you, you get over the shock, realize it's, it's going to take some time. It's not just one switch you can put right. It's, it's going to take some time. Mm, I think for me, the important bit of that was recognising it is almost your job description to have this stuff going on in the background, because I have colleagues and friends who have been, you know, the two years that the GMC were investigating a complaint has just been the worst two years of their life. They feel that they've had to put everything on hold. They've been so stressed about it. They've not been sleeping. It's been really tricky. One one focus of the GMC has been to alter the language it uses 
in its communications because in the past it has been very quasi legal and official and it and we're trying to if you like use more plain speaking but I, I guess the problem in the end is that you know, we are breaking bad news and as a doctor receiving a letter with that particular shade of blue and that typeface coming through you read the first line and then you stop reading and if it says you are under investigation then that's all you need to read and your powers of communication and reading just finish at that point and then you know you, you fall to bits and it's a kind of visceral thing that happens when you get these communications you know in a few minutes time you'll be able to read it and see actually it's it's not half as bad as you thought it was but it is very difficult i think you know when you get these communications and we are trying to make it better we are trying to you know, if necessary own people first just check it's all right to talk to them but make allowances for people and I think, you know, if, if you're a doctor and you're going through this yourself at the moment, you, know, you need to get support. You need to get support from your peers. You need to get the right medical legal support. You, you may need to see, you know, a coach or, or someone professional or, or a mentor or, or someone who actually can help get some perspective on it, perhaps. And Yeah, I, I think one interesting question that I would get asked by, say, GMC staff is, why, why is it so different as a doctor to get a complaint like this? Because everyone gets complaints, whether you're a teacher and anybody is, is finds it very difficult when you have a, a disciplinary procedure at your work. And I, and I kind of said, well, as, as a doctor, it's a strange thing that it, when you become a doctor, when you finish your medical degree, they, they actually change your name. They, they call you doctor this, and doctor that. And so a complaint that threatens your professional status, very much profession, it threatens your individual identity. And it feels very very difficult. And the other thing is, is that virtually all of us, well, I hope all of us went into medicine because we want to help people. And someone saying that you didn't help me, this was horrendous. It it really gets to you. And you like to think that you can be a bit of a machine and get through the workload. But no, you you, you care for these people. And, and the thought that you did something that didn't do that is is very distressing. And so it is different when you get this kind of concern as a doctor, I think. Yeah, 100%. Well, all that advice is, is so, so helpful. In terms of generating a roadmap with people, if they were to write down three things, you know, literally put it in their drawer for when the, next, the call comes in on their roadmap of what to do when they get, when they make a mistake or they get a complaint, Claire, what would your top three things be? I think the first thing would be to, I said it before, but be aware this is an occupational hazard. Is it almost not if this will happen, it's, it's when it will happen. and accept that so it will be a shock but in a sense not a surprise if you see what I mean yep. then I think as I mentioned before it's almost not the mistake you made that is the key thing it's how you deal with it and that there are principles that make sense that are right for the patient but also put you in a strong position professionally a kind of sensitive empathic approach being able to give a clear account of what's happened, but also responding in a really professional way, analysing effectively, working out sort of what, what the issues were here, reflecting on it so that you can draw from it any learning that can be taken and any changes, and sort of thinking about it carefully and almost intelligently to identify ways to address any sort of any and all of of these issues that you've managed to pick up and that that is that is kind of a strategy a kind of roadmap that will help you deal really with with any type of of medico-legal drama in a sense so in 
be reassured that there, there is a, a good a good strategic way to deal with with these sort of problems that is in a way tried and tested and that really many many of your colleagues will have been involved with people don't always talk about it i don't think but you'd be i think you'd be surprised if you went to a colleague and said oh this is happening and they go oh yes you know 15 years ago i was dealing with something like that yeah and that is a great point so many of us have been through it not many people want to talk about it so you feel that you're on your own when actually you're definitely not on your own so talk to your colleagues get support and we are doing a another episode all about how to survive how to get that support and what to do there john what would your three top tips be i think as i said before i think the first top tip is is just to pause and recognize that you are human mm. and you you have you are feeling threatened and to not act immediately because you rarely have to act immediately but pause you know, have a cup of tea uh, if necessary delegate tasks deal with the thing that you need to deal with but the thing that went wrong i think then it's about communication it's about starting to deal with it by speaking to your medical defense organization speaking to your colleagues and they'll they'll quickly give you a sense of perspective and i think the next stage is it's a bit like dealing with with grief i guess the stages of grief but i think it's it's about coming to terms with what's happening to realize that this is a long process that's going to happen mostly in the background but you have to engage with your patients and your family and yourself you have to look after yourself keep fit eat well you know do all the things we need to do and and get through it and during the communication with all your colleagues and everybody, you will realise that they've, a lot of them have been through this before. A lot, of, a lot of them have been through it multiple times. Some specialties have to deal with this continuously because of the nature of what they deal with. Some specialties very rarely deal with it. But, but it's just it's inherent in the challenge of our profession that is, we do impossible things a lot of the time. And those are really helpful three top tips that you've given. Right at the very end, what I do want to do is, is ask, because there'll be lots of people who are listening to this podcast that aren't necessarily going through a complaint right now, but I'm sure that they know someone who is, or they may well have someone come up to them in the future just asking them, oh, this has just happened. So what, what would you suggest for those people? What should you do when one of your colleague comes up to you and they've just had something happen? I think that's, that, that's an interesting question because when they do that, it's, you're human as well, and that might even trigger you to think about some of the complaints you've dealt with. But it's a, it's a specific uh, concern they've asked you about, and you've got to think about, you know, you're being asked as a professional, what's the best thing to do? And you should initially obviously be concerned about the person's welfare who's speaking to you and be empathic and compassionate about that, be sympathetic. You should, as I said before, you, you can help in terms of remedying the thing that's gone wrong to make sure that's all right. But then you've got to make sure that you give reasonable advice. And of course, it's not going to be, don't worry, it'll go away. Don't think about it. It'll be to encourage engagement with all the resources that are going to help the person get through it with the medical defense organizations. You've got to be a bit careful about saying, oh, just phone them up and just apologize. It'll be all right. You know, you don't give bland reassurance. At the same time, don't run screaming. You help to you know, engage in the same way you would engage with trainee you know, or any other colleague or another person who is in difficulty or in crisis. Think mm -hmm. about it, be responsible. Think about what you know and what you don't know. And know your own knowledge and capabilities and, and be helpful, but signpost someone to the 
definitive resources that are going to help them through this. And John, I'm just thinking, if that was me sharing that with someone else, often it might be like in the corridor where they pop the head around, how are you doing? Oh, I've just had a complaint. But what I'd really want is them to go, right, let's stop. Let's go and get a cup of tea. Yeah. Just tell me about it and just just listen. That's what you need. You might be a bit bravado, oh, I don't really care, but you just need someone to listen and an empathetic, caring ear from a colleague to, to start off with because you need to recognise it's a really big shock for that person, even if they're not, yeah. even if they're not saying that it is. Yeah. If, if, you, if you've got any sort of pastoral duties over any other people, you know how it is that at, in the heat of the moment, what might seem to you to be a, a very minor problem is actually really important to them and give them space and you know, take them out of the scene, give them a cup of tea and listen to, you know, there will, there will be a bit of a catharsis and there'll be a, bit, there'll be a lot of emotion, but listen to that initially. You know, the same way you would with a patient, let, them, let the person speak. Don't interrupt them. Let them speak to their brain, and then you can start to help, and you can analyze. You now, what needs to be done immediately? What can be done in an hour, a day, a week's time? You know, make some sense of it, but be human and be responsible. And people really remember how you treat them in those circumstances. I remember talking to a, a colleague who'd had a really nasty complaint, and when he told his partners, they just went running for the hills. No one wanted to talk to him, and it was just. I think that was more devastating than the actual complaint, actually, for for him. I think dealing with complaints by proxy is an important thing as well. So if, if say, you get a complaint and you realise actually you weren't even in the building, you were on holiday, but it's someone else, then how you respond to it is really important. You know, you can still be compassionate. You can still, you know, not apologise, but acknowledge the, the concern on behalf of your colleague and say, you know, you will still take responsibility for making sure that it's dealt with. So it's, you know, how we, we pass on a concern to the actual relevant person is a really important thing as well. I agree with all of that, but also sometimes if the complaint, it can take time sometimes to resolve these matters. So your colleague would probably benefit from, from you being sort of on hand and continuing to be supportive, maybe at certain points. So it, mm -hmm. you can help them probably through the process as well as just at that initial moment. And yeah, so reg yeah. regular check-ins, how's it going on that, you know, just just because someone's not talking about it doesn't mean it's not going on for them and it's not really, really important and occupying a lot of brain space. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you both so much for, for being with us. If we will post some links to all the resources that you talked about in the show notes. So thank you so much, both of you. That has just been really helpful and I, I hope that's given some really clear, practical points for our listeners on, 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 what, on what they should do. So we'll, we'll post all the links in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here and hopefully speak to you again at some point soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this. <laughs>